Hey Zion Church, my name is Joseph and I have the privilege of serving on staff. Here today, we are going to be looking at our sermon series on the way of Jesus. And I want to encourage you to take a moment and download our sermon resource guide that we have available for you. You can find that link in the description um, of this video. And as we get started today, I just want to take a moment and just have us rest in the presence of God for just a moment. So I encourage you to adjust your posture, relax your shoulders, maybe even close your eyes, maybe open up your hands. Let's just sit with for a moment in the presence of Jesus. Thank you. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, silence can often be uncomfortable. One thing I can really point back to, though, in my life that's helped me get more comfortable with silence was when I was in Bible college and I purchased a $1,200 car. That car probably looks like what you would picture a $1,200 car to look like. It was a Buick Century with a dent on the front fender. And, you know, it's designed for like my grandparents. So obviously it's going to have a top of the line stereo system um, with AM FM radio and a cassette player. Now, some of you out there do not remember what a cassette player is. You can Google that. Um, But I think there's a reason why records came back and cassettes haven't. Um, it, it, you weren't missing much and I didn't have any cassettes around. And so every other weekend I would take a drive back to Texas and I would drive from Missouri, um, about a five hour drive. And on those long, lonely roads of Oklahoma, driving back to Texas, I would have to sit in silence for a while. And it was then that I learned that silence wasn't half bad. You see, we live in a very noisy world. As New Yorkers, we actually like the noise a lot of times. It's a part of the way of life that we live. And there's noises, you know, that we don't choose. There's the rumble of the subway. There's the trains. There's the buses. There's the sirens that are constantly going off. There's the chatter of people passing by your apartment window or in my case for the last three years, staying outside my window because I had a beer garden downstairs. Um, I will say a few mornings about 4 a.m. I wanted to get some righteous indignation started riling up and I wanted to get my like water guns and like start shooting out the window, but I didn't. But then there's the noises that we do choose. There's the music that plays on our kitchen counter all day long. There's the TV that runs in the other room to keep you company. There's your laughing toddlers or screaming toddlers. There's noise that's all around us, but there's also noise within us. We live in a noisy world. There's the chatter of voices in your head. Maybe it's your mom that her voice keeps coming back to you. 
in different moments of your life. Maybe there's the internal voices of doubt and fear or worry or hope. We live in a noisy world and this noise, a lot of times, we try to drown out or overwhelm with more noise. When I first moved to the city, because I'm originally from the country and I was not used to all the noise, and I would, so I, I got a big box fan and I turn it on on high every night so that way I can use that to help drown out the other noises that are around me. But our noisy world comes at a cost to our soul. And that cost is distraction. Now, distraction doesn't sound so bad at first glance, but it can be deadly. Just ask the family of the teenager who was hit by a person who was texting and driving. But not only do we live in a noisy world, we also live in an overconnected world. We try to sustain too many relationships. University of Oxford anthropologist and psychologist Robin Dunbar discovered that there is a limit to the number of relationships that human beings can sustain with that limit being around 150 at the like, casual friendship social level. Yet many of us have hundreds or even thousands of social media fans or followers or friends. And a lot of times we even may feel bad because we can't stay in contact with all the people that we want to stay in contact with. We also have too much accessibility in our overconnected world. I remember the day before cell phones when we were not at the mercy of that screaming little monkey in our pockets that is constantly dinging and vibrating and vying for our attention. You know, I started turning off my phone on my Sabbath day and it was so hard in the very beginning because I realized like, I'm like, what if someone needs me? And then a few weeks later, I began to relax a little bit as I realized people did quite fine without me for a few hours. And I actually was found that I was able to be more present whenever I was with people. You know, instead of accepting the limits that we have in our overconnected world, a lot of times we think that we can hack our way through the limits. In this way, we are guilty of the same pride that caused Adam and Eve's fall, the desire to be infinite, the desire to be like God. Our overconnected world comes at a cost to our soul, and that cost is loneliness. A headline from last year reads, loneliness is on the rise and younger workers and social media users feel it the most. And this survey um, from Cigna, 
that they put out found that three out of five adults, or 61% of the population, report that they sometimes or always feel lonely. Among workers aged 18 to 22, so our very young people, 73% report sometimes or always feeling alone. And this statistic is actually an increase from 69% the year before. And interestingly enough, they found that there was a greater feeling of loneliness among people who use social media more frequently. You would think they are staying more connected, but because we are in this over-connected world, the price that it comes with is actually loneliness. But thankfully, Jesus shows us a better way. And it's not necessarily to ditch your social media accounts. I'm not going to tell you to go out and do that. But what Jesus shows us is he shows us a way, a rhythm of life, a practice to add into our lives that can help us deal with our noisy and overconnected world. This practice, Ruth Haley Barton writes, that this practice is the most challenging, the most needed, and the least experienced spiritual discipline among evangelical Christians today. It's a practice we call silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. In silence, we choose to be quiet, to quiet the noise within us and the noise around us so that we can make space to hear God. And in solitude, we pull away from other people so that way we can be with God. You see, loneliness, Richard Foster writes, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. And we're going to look today at the life of Jesus and how this practice was lived out in his life. You know, you can tell a lot about a story by how it begins and how it ends. And so we're going to start off looking at the beginning of the earthly ministry of Jesus. We're going to be looking in Luke chapter number four. And in verse one of Luke chapter four, The scripture writes, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. So this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry, just as right before Jesus starts doing all the miracles, doing all the things that he was called to this earth to do. And Jesus goes away. He goes into the wilderness. And now the wilderness in this context is not this maybe Instagram-worthy place that you might be thinking of, you know, the safari tent and the camel that you're riding on through the desert or the beautiful starlit skies. This was 
The, the word in the Greek is eremos, and it means a solitary place. It means a lonely place. It means a deserted place. It was not the place that most people wanted to go. So we see this at the beginning of the life of Jesus. And then if we fast forward just a few chapters to Luke 22, we're coming towards the end of Jesus's earthly ministry. And we come here to verse 39. And the scripture tells us that Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. Now, the Mount of Olives was outside of the city of Jerusalem. And so it's outside in this deserted place, in this solitary place, in this lonely place. He comes out and he does this as his custom was. It's like, this is his habit. This is what he continually does. And he goes out there and his disciples follow him. And when he comes to the place, he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. This solitary place, this lonely place that Jesus would go to was the place that he was able to find intimacy with the Father. Now, I hear you may be questioning, yeah, these are a couple of isolated incidents in Jesus's life. Was this really the pattern of how Jesus lived his life? So if we took a quick survey, and we don't have the time to go into all the scriptures, but I encourage you, you can look them up and read them later. We see that before Jesus called his disciples in Luke chapter 6, it says he went up on the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. After the disciples had been out ministering in Mark chapter 6, they come to him and they tell him the report of all that they've done, and Jesus tells them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. The same word, to this wilderness place and rest a while. Jesus was going out and doing all the miracles, doing all the things. Crowds are flocking to him. And in Luke chapter five, it says that the report of him are going abroad and great crowds are gathering to him, but he would often withdraw to desolate places and pray. And we even see that when, the, when John the Baptist was beheaded, when Jesus heard the news of that, to process that grief, Jesus sends the disciples away and he goes up on the mountainside by himself to pray, to process this grief. This practice of Jesus of going into places of silence and solitude was not an isolated thing. Rather, it was a practice that he put into his life on a regular basis. So you may be like, okay, I see Joseph. I see that Jesus practiced this, but what's the big deal? Why did he practice it and why should I? 
And I believe there are three main answers to that. One is that silence and solitude unveil our mask. Our mask are not just the physical things we keep to protect others in this age of COVID, but it's the way we see ourselves reflected through how other people see us. In Luke chapter four, the scripture that we started with, when Jesus is in the desert, he hungered. He was out there, he was tempted. The devil brings physical temptations to him to make the stones into bread. He brings him this desire for power and, and, and this desire, and he, he offers him, he says, I will give you the kingdoms of the world. Fall down and worship me. And these things of food and social connections are often ways that our masks are held in place. Ways that we don't have to really face what's underneath all of our passions and desires. You see, silence and solitude exposes how we run to disordered habits. We often stay so loud and so busy because we're scared of what we will find if that is taken away. Every year I try to take a solitude trip. And in 2020, I was grateful in the fall to be able to go out west. And I van camped throughout Nevada and Wyoming and Utah, out there on roads where I didn't have any cell phone reception. I was by myself and I had a lot of time to sit and to reflect and to think. And it was out there that I began to see some of the mask that I had held in place. Some of the mask of ways of being in the world that were not my true self, but were rather the false self, the mask that I tend to put on. It was hard, but it was also liberating to be able to be in that space of solitude for Jesus to process through that with me. You know, there's nothing like going to another country or going to a place where people speak a different language and not being able to communicate. Um, many of us have had the privilege of being able to travel abroad to countries where we didn't speak the local language. And when we do that, sometimes it can be quite embarrassing when you go from being a capable communicator to relying on hand gestures to be able to try to figure out where you're going and what you're doing. Silence and solitude necessitate giving up control. Often our words are tools of control. It's control of others, unconsciously and consciously managing our perceptions by others, trying to use our words to impress, to control, to challenge, to question, to prove our intellectual ability or our, or our analytical abilities, analytical abilities, <laughs> get that right. We do it to try to connect with people, to try to find that sweet spot 
in which we can understand another person and they can see us. But not only do we use our words to control others, a lot of times we use our words to try to control God. Even in prayer, sometimes we beg and we plead and fight for attention. And while there is this space for crying out to God in prayer, sometimes I've found in my own life that that can be a cover for trying to get God to do what I want him to do. So silence and solitude unveil our mask. We have to take the mask off. But silence and solitude also reveal our identity. It reveals that we are more than who other people think we are. Jesus was the ultimate public figure. He's constantly facing both criticism and praise. And it would have been so easy for him to be swayed by who people thought he should be instead of living out his true calling and living into his true identity. And oftentimes I've puzzled over how the crowds would come to Jesus. They would be there trying to be with Jesus, trying to hear his words, and he would withdraw from them. He would go away. And I truly believe that he would go away to a desolate place so he could be reminded of what his true identity was, so he could see himself not through the eyes of people, but that way he could see himself through the eyes of God, through the eyes of his Father. We are also more than who we think we are. I was talking and working through this sermon with Winnie, who's on staff. And and Winnie said that silence and solitude in her own life exposes the false narratives that I tend to tell myself and helps me return to how God sees me. She said, if I don't return to solitude, I will act out of that false narrative. That false narrative is another way to say that mask that we tend to put on. You know, when we are in the company of others, it's easy for us to project our fears and negative feelings onto them. But when we are in solitude, we have to claim those inner experiences as our own. We discover that we are not who we thought we were in all of our grandioseness, nor are we who other people think we are in their idealized projections of us. When we come to the place of silence and solitude, when we sit before God, utterly naked, utterly bare, nothing held back, not trying to control, just giving it all up, It's in that place that we discover the reality that we are the beloved. That who Jesus says we are is the beloved. And I don't know about you, but there is nothing more transformational than to hear God speak that over me in a place of silence and solitude.
So silence and solitude unveil our mask. And they reveal our identity. But they also reveal to us God's identity. You see, in the multitude of words, a lot of times we think we have God all figured out. But silence and solitude help us let go of our man-made, tiny images of God. And I'm not just talking about people outside the church. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about us. We can sometimes think that God is this little, tiny creation of our own imaginations instead of who he really is. And in silence and solitude, we begin to accept the mystery that God is grander and bigger and greater than we could ever imagine or dream. In silence and solitude, Jesus demonstrates what it means to return home to the Father. Jesus told his disciples that he had nowhere to lay his head down. He forever felt like he didn't have a home here on earth. But when I notice him early morning, late at night, the times when he can pull away, he goes and he's with the Father. And silence and solitude are Jesus's way of returning home to the Father. In Luke chapter 9, we find the story of the transfiguration. And in verse 28, it says, Now about eight days after these sayings, after the sayings that he had just said, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain. He went to this desert place, to this desolate place to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. It was in this space of silence and solitude that Peter and James and John were able to see God's true identity in the person of Jesus Christ. Another desolate place experience that I remember from Sunday school with the flannel graph board of Elijah in 1 Kings 19. When he's running away from Jezebel and he goes, the Bible says, a day's journey into the wilderness. He goes into the desert and he's at a low place He's brokenhearted, he's frustrated, he's angry. He thinks he's the only one really following God at that time. And in that place, God met him. It says, not in the, not in the loud things, but in, in the words of the King James, a still small voice. But that's actually not the best rendering of what he actually experienced. The best rendering is actually God met him in the sound of sheer silence. And in that place, Elijah learned 
God's true identity. So silence and solitude unveil our mask. It reveals our identity and it reveals God's identity to us. But how do we put this into practice? So right now, I just want to drill down on a few ways, a few tips that you can use to try to implement this into your life. Maybe start by stopping using the TV as background noise. Get used to being able to be in your room without needing to have some noise. Leave the earbuds in your bag for a train ride. Sometimes it can be good to give up listening to music to simply sit in the moment. Turn off the notifications on your devices. Often the ding of distraction hampers much of our spiritual life. Practice not having any music playing during your prayer time with Jesus sometimes. There's a time for worship music. I love it. I love worshiping privately with Jesus. But if you are dependent upon worship music to connect with Jesus, you might actually be worshiping the music more than you're worshiping Jesus. And then Rick Warren, pastor and author, he has an advice that my childhood pastor shared with me and I found helpful as a rhythm. He says, divert daily. So carve out time to sit in silence with God daily. Withdraw weekly. Practice the Sabbath. A lot of times for me, I'll take long walks outside. I'll turn off my phone. I'll put it away. And I'll simply practice being present with God and with others. And thirdly, abandon annually. I encourage you to try to take some time, maybe Instead of taking one of your vacations, take it and do a solitude trip. Take a day away. Take a couple of days away. Go away to a quiet place where you can just have time to be with you and with God. You know, we're in a time of reckoning as a nation with so much injustice in the world. I wonder what would happen if we, as the people of God, begin to lay aside silencing others and instead practice silencing ourselves at times. Would we be able to speak up in the right moments with the right words to act for justice if we knew how to be silent in the right times? What would happen if we traded the overconnectedness that our world pushes us towards for times of solitude, times of being with God alone? What would happen? I believe that as we would practice the way of Jesus, Choosing silence and solitude over noise and overconnectedness, we would be empowered to be a non-anxious, emotionally healthy, spiritual people 
that we'll be able to extend love to those around us. So I wanna encourage you today, whether it's one of the tips that I offered or whether it be something completely different, ask God what it might look like for you to begin to practice silence and solitude.